Welcome to the Most Useful Information Podcast. I'm Tim, and I'm here with Aiden, and we're going to talk to you about Intimacies uh, by Katie Kitamira, which came out in 2021. How's it going, Aiden? It's going good. Thanks for asking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thanks for uh, coming all the way over here to uh, talk about this book. We're in uh, the most useful information headquarters uh, <laughs> <laughs> moment um yeah so should we dive right into it yeah let's do it um let's maybe start with a plot summary uh this book is about a translator who moves from new york to the hog the Hague? Do I don't know. I was going <laughs> to suggest we look it up via Google Translate beforehand. <laughs> uh, let's see if we can do that uh, in the moment. But she moves to a city in the Netherlands to be a translator at uh, an international criminal court or something. Yeah. Do you want to hear how it's said in yeah, English? Yeah. The Hague. The okay. Hague. Okay. That's what Google says. Um, and I think it might be the kind of thing where the city is named The Hague, but then the court, too, is kind of known as The Hague. Okay. I think. It seems right to me. Yeah. To me. Um, and. Ooh, that's kind of interesting, actually. The, um, the, the fact that there's sort of a. Um, conflation or overlap between two different identities which I feel like is a theme of this Um, like the city and the court and then that happens with people a lot in in the book anyway (laughs) (laughs) we'll get there yeah um so she's a she's a translator in a court she has a boyfriend named Adrian Adrian also has a wife and kids who he's in the process of divorcing, or so he says. Yes. Um, she has a, a friend in The Hague whose name I'm forgetting. Jaina. Jane, or Jana. Jaina, Jana, Yana, Yana. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and those that's all of the relationships I can think of that she has at the moment. But the... Uh, Early in the book, she goes to dinner at Jana, Jaina, Yana's house, and someone, and Jaina has moved to sort of what everyone seems to think is like a, a sketchy neighborhood that people shouldn't go to, um, but it's like affordable or something. So she was able to buy a house there. And the narrator, uh, whose name I also don't remember at the moment. I don't know if it's given. Okay. Is it? I'm not sure. Um, it's a first person narration so it's easy to miss the the narrator's name but she goes to dinner at that house and on the night there's someone's attacked and hospitalized they're like mugged in the street um, early in the book and then the narrator also kind of I don't know it's not that she's like obsessed with the guy who got (laughs) mugged and hospitalized but she's like 
very curious about him for some reason and she like learns his name which is like Derek or something like his last name yeah, like D-E space R-I-I-K or R-I-J-K maybe yeah, maybe that. yeah so I don't know how to I my best guess is Derek but yeah. I have no idea <laughs> um he owns like a antique bookstore and she goes to the bookstore to try to see him or something but he's not there because he's still in the hospital she tries to like get the person working at the bookstore to admit that he's like at the hospital or like what had happened to him but the bookseller's just like he's away he'll be back soon um and she buys a book for adrian even though she doesn't want it and he she doesn't end up giving it to him uh i'm getting kind of lost in the weeds of like the the step by step eventually adrian goes to be with his wife and kids to try to properly get a divorce and she moves into adrian's empty apartment uh at his invitation yeah he really wants her to do it um and she does for a while she doesn't hear from adrian for a long time she moves out uh, mean, Meanwhile, yeah. she is involved interpreting a series of war crimes as uh, is sort of a natural part of her job. And so the, the narrative kind of uh, weaves together her um, this sort of interpersonal relationship and its complications with Adrian as well as her sort of efforts to um, support her friend Jana and meet new friends through Jana and um, and um, kind of find out this mystery uh, around the, the mugging near Jana's house. So all of that sort of interpersonal stuff interwoven with her job interpreting um, a former president of, I think, an African nation yeah. um, who is being tried as a war criminal at the, the Hague. Yeah, it's a big deal because there seems to be this perception that the Hague is harsher towards African countries and rulers or former rulers of African countries and so so there are protesters out in yeah. front of it um, and for a while they try to keep it secret that he's been arrested mm -hmm. and so Jana no the narrator the nameless narrator gets called up in the middle of the night to go translate for him because they don't want anyone to know he's been arrested like journalists or anything like that mm -hmm. uh i think that's a adequate outline of of the plot i mean i guess the only other thing is by the end of the book she has been offered a full a full-time position at the hague she's there sort of uh to begin the book she's there kind of um on a trial basis and um she's offered a full-time position and she turned she ends up turning it down at the end of the book oh maybe i shouldn't have said that no no it's fine. No. <laughs> um 
We um, don't care about spoilers. <laughs> information. Um, that's hardly the biggest spoiler <laughs> of the book. It's also not really the type of book to have spoilers. But yeah. um, I'll spoil it even further and say eventually Adrian comes back yeah. and tries to get in touch. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, job done. No. <laughs> um, I guess I'm trying to decide if I should ask a question or say a thought. Um, but maybe since you're a guest, I'll ask you a question. Okay. Uh, which is, why is the book called Intimacies? <laughs> um. Funny you should ask, because I was just <laughs> thinking about this. Um, well, I believe that the book is... I mean, I was just sort of like flipping through it and thinking about all my earlier thoughts about it and... Then I just kind of remembered that it was called intimacies, and I was like, hmm, intimacies, plural. And so then I was like, oh, <laughs> um, it's about uh, intimacies both desired and undesired, I think, as they're experienced by this central figure who is... And I, and I think there's a sort of gendered dimension and perhaps also a racialized dimension, which I would like to ask you about at some point, like the role of race. Um, but essentially, this book, the narrator is um, kind of cosmopolitan, has had a cosmopolitan upbringing and has moved around a lot, we learn, and is deeply desirous of a place where she can be sort of settled and where she can remain with other people. Um, and we learn this because she's said, you know, when she first visits Jaina's apartment, she has sort of like a stab of jealousy about how sort of arranged and settled it seems to be kind of. And, and I think this is connected with her sort of desire for intimacy with uh, various women in the narrative and also with Adrian, the, the boyfriend. Um, and I think she has a similar feeling when she goes to his apartment or, or... Yeah, I mean, she seems maybe jealous of the intimacy between Adrian and his wife. Yeah, jealous of that intimacy and also jealous of the sort of settled existence that's sort of evidenced by how the the apartment is yeah. set up kind of so the her cosmopolitanism i think is like uh related to her desire for intimacy with and maybe difficulty achieving intimacy with these various people in her life but then on the other hand it's also about like there's so much about the process of translation and maybe particularly being an interpreter, which I guess is a kind of like pretty much simultaneous translation mm -hmm. um, and the kind of 
uncomfortable way that she has to that she, she I mean it's it's framed in terms of like physical possession sometimes like that she is occupied by the words and speech of other people in mm. this case war criminals many of them yeah. many of whom commit racialized and gendered crimes um, that also happens interpersonally because at a party she goes to with adrian she meets a a guy named keys yeah who is the defense uh, <laughs> lawyer for uh, as it turns yeah out. that yeah. happens a few pages Sorry. after no 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 um but um Keys knows Adrian and Adrian's wife and tells all this stuff to her about their their marriage but then Adrian shows up and they're kind of like Adrian and Keys are kind of cold with one another and she says something about how she is a medium between these two guys she says I understood well enough that Adrian was not speaking to me, but to Keyes, and that I was only the medium through which his statements were passing. And similarly, I understood that my presence must have been what allowed Adrian to speak so directly to Keyes. It was as if he, was, he were saying things he had wished to say for many years, but had been unable to, perhaps restrained by the basic courtesies of marriage. His respect for the long-standing friendship between his wife and this man. Yeah, so she's kind of a translator, both professionally and sort of interpersonally, or like she's possessed yes. by other people's words or yeah. thoughts or feelings or something. So that's maybe one of the first times that this idea of um, of uncomfortable intimacy, a kind of like ventriloquism or something mm -hmm. like that comes up and interestingly on the next page keys so like adrian and is sort of speaking to keys as he's always wanted to and uh using this narrator as a as a medium and keys who confesses to having been close friends with Adrian's wife or soon to be ex-wife um, who ended up who who basically had an affair and, mm -hmm. and is asking for a divorce and moved to Portugal with the kids yes so Keys tells Adrian uh, that he didn't actually like they were really close and she would call him and um, Adrian's ex-wife or wife and she would call Keys and sort of complain about her marriage and like tell him all these details. And he says, I didn't enjoy the intimacy on the next page, just mm. after Katie or after the narrator has described being a medium between these two. Yeah. Men. And so, so he's like being a medium or. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of or he's calling attention to the ways that intimacy can be uncomfortable yeah and but i think what's interesting to me is that there are a couple of situations in which the narrator describes 
intimacy between other people as uncomfortable but she never uses like she never says anything she never explicitly labels the intimacy of translation hmm. to be uncomfortable or that the intimacy of being in this position of being a medium kind of yeah until or like so i think i'm just sort of wondering like is it like she recognizes it in other people but not herself yeah well i guess in this case it's sort of like he just says i didn't enjoy the intimacy so it's like he's not afraid to say like this was an uncomfortable intimacy yeah and then a few pages later she's like late to meet adrian and jaina for dinner and they've already kind of come together yeah and she says I was aware that Jaina and Adrian had been thrust together in circumstances more uncomfortable and intimate than intended. So there it's like she's aware of other people's, the possibility of uncomfortable intimacy. Um, But there's no naming of her own situation as a kind of medium as uncomfortable. Yeah. I think at least maybe not until later on in the narrative I don't know there's um in that conversation with keys I think keys tells her that Adrian's wife like sent him an email saying she was leaving him or something Mm -hmm. like that and the narrator thinks something something like that's far too convenient a mode of communication for such a grave subject Mm. and so i wonder if like uh, sorry go ahead well like so it seems like the narrator thinks like easy things can be communicated conveniently but like Mm. difficult heavy important things because they're difficult and heavy and important they should be difficult to communicate and so her work as a translator at a war crime or war court or internet whatever it's called um like those are like grave heavy crimes and Mm -hmm. it's kind of like a complicated way to communicate it like she's translate like with all these intermediaries and like she's not the only person translating the this guy's words like other people are translating it into other there's like a booth of translators basically so it's like a very convoluted and complicated um way to communicate something and so i wonder if she likes being a medium because she thinks like that's how like the sort of like game of telephone is complicated and that's how important things should be communicated so it like sits right with her or something Hmm. i don't know if that makes sense yeah or like she can't i guess i do you mean like 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 when she's like the email email's too convenient of a way to communicate to me that suggests she's sort of like looks down on that that convenience oh, okay. of, of communication and so she thinks things should be kind of complicated yeah. to communicate and so if she's like someone's medium or someone's translator she's part of this complicated process of communication that she thinks is like 
necessary or important for like serious topics yeah and And i wonder how gender comes into play with this because like it seems like what you're getting at is this idea that she feels communication particularly of serious topics should be a heavy burden of some sort yeah that is sort of dutifully born and the first um early on in the novel there is a she has a colleague at the hague named amina who's pregnant and um continues to work doing this translation and interpretation at the hague uh well into her pregnancy and then ultimately the narrator and amina work together on a case and that's sort of the case towards the end but early on she's describing um how amina this how amina is usually like very fluid with her translations but she had there's this there's there was one person that she was working with who was uh like while she was pregnant who uh is uh kind of looks at her and catches her eye in a way that makes her very uncomfortable and she sort of starts to get flustered and then there's this note about how over the course of these first sessions amina grew increasingly uneasy The case involved a great deal of testimony regarding terrible atrocities and hour by hour she carried this testimony from one language into Mm. another um and so i feel like that idea of like carrying testimony is sort of like getting to the point you were i mean that was a a lot of context (laughs) in a roundabout way of saying sorry but um but but yeah she carries his testimony from one language into another at the same time that she's like uh, bearing a child. Yeah, that does make it seem gendered. Yeah, in, a, yeah. in, in some way. There, it's also... I don't know how this ties in, but I guess something that stood out was that she, in addition to translating the words that are said by these people in the court, she has to also sort of translate their inflections and tones and, and moods because the way something is said matters significantly um and in doing that she can get kind of caught up in the well one she is sometimes like not like it happens so fast that she's not totally aware of what's going on as it's happening but she also kind of focuses on a lot of minutiae so rather than focusing on like making sure everything connects logically and like the words are being translated like with the correct sense she focuses on like the sounds and and everything like that and so in in translating she kind of she as the medium i guess doesn't catch like the meaning or the larger context of something like she's she's translating and other people are understanding the meaning and the tone and everything but she is kind of not paying attention to the meaning or something so it is like the words are literally like moving through her without like almost not i don't want to say without affecting her but it's like 
the the like the horrors or whatever maybe aren't registering with her because she's not paying attention to like the meanings of the words or how they all connect to these larger situations yeah she calls herself an instrument a couple times i yeah. think um which speaks to that yeah. dynamic of like allowing words to move through her and makes me think of medieval mystics and <laughs> um the ways that or, or possession kind of like possession by someone else and ventriloquism by oh, someone yeah. else um also makes me want to like I feel like CN I would be interesting to read this be, uh, with because CN I talks about the kind of obstructed agency of being animated uh, as like part of the process of animation when someone else sort of speaks on your behalf kind of. Which is not exactly what's going on here, but there's something yeah. like it's like the, the the words of the other person are animating her. In yeah, a way. yeah. And there is this um, the sense of powerlessness that sort of goes along with that. Yeah, in a way. At the same time that she's carrying the words from one language. Yeah, and to it's the a, next. it's like a burden. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. it's a burden. Um. um there's something this is like going back a little ways but you were talking about the different sort of like the intimacies wanted and unwanted and how she was sort of jealous of other people's settledness and mm -hmm. do you think she wants like intimacy with a with a city because there's a lot of talking about the the hague as a city and its different neighborhoods and the, like the type of city it is and i think the book opens with her talking about her parents moving from New York to Singapore. And when that happens, she realizes that it was her parents that anchored her to New York mm -hmm. in the first place. And so she, it's almost like the book starts off with like a quest to find a new, like a, a place to anchor, like a, a physical place yeah. to, to anchor one's self. And she, she obviously doesn't find it in the hog in the Hague I feel like I might disagree with you about I mean she doesn't like fully settle down there by the end I think well first of all I think you're totally right that like place is connected to personal intimacy like the personal intimacy that she wants and she wants kind of a intimacy with a place as well mm -hmm. as with a set of people who live there kind of yeah um but there is like i guess i read some kind of so her relationship with adrian i think she's sort of like hopeful really hopeful that that will work out and i think early on in the novel she's sort of like hoping that she will be offered the, the full-time job at the hague so that she can um kind of remain there with him and start settling down but then um he stays away for so long he's uncommunicative with her um and she feels jerked around by him basically and then at the same time she also realizes that she that these experiences of translation 
as part of her job are really unsettling to her and kind mm-hmm. of like um she's maybe not uh temperamentally suited to the job and so she opts she for both of those reasons i think she decides not to take the job when it's offered to her but then adrian comes back and wants to see her like you said and they kind of have a they have a conversation that kind of clears the air i guess but like this is like on the second to last page of the novel she says i saw that he understood or was beginning to understand how it had been for me those weeks he was away and although there were things i had intended to say to him words that had passed through my head many times words that i had believed needed to be spoken between us i only said this i understand this is after he has told the Mm -hmm. whole story of like why it took so long and why he was uncommunicative and stuff she goes on to say i could understand anything under the right circumstances and for the right person it was both a strength and a weakness i looked at his face and i thought it was possible that after all that despite everything adrian was that person for me so i think there is like the hope of intimacy and like of some resolved intimacy at the end kind of even though even though there is this sort of like yeah it's like i want i'm not this is a half-formed thought but it's like this the sort of porousness that she has that makes the job of interpretation so difficult for her yeah is like something that makes her able to understand anything under the right circumstances she says and so it's sort of like what makes it possible to have this resolution kind of and yeah i think i mean so when i said she doesn't find it in the hague i was thinking of her moving from her apartment to his apartment and then from his apartment back to her apartment she just didn't seem settled anywhere but I, I think you're right at the end she seems at least like she thinks that maybe she has found a person to well there's there's the suggestion of the possibility of reconciliation yeah. it's not nicely tied up or anything but yeah I think me as a reader I still had some big question marks sure. over over Adrian because yeah like he does this he says he's gonna be gone for a week or two and well and, of course and then he's gone for months and he doesn't call or or text or anything and in that bit you just read she also said like i thought these words had to be spoken which just again kind of highlights that she thinks the medium of communication is really important for certain topics mm-hmm. or something like that so do you yeah. take her only saying i understand do you take that as being like they didn't speak about it adequately no that's not what i meant i i think i was i just conflated two two different trains of of thought one was just the the saying she had to speak it was going back to the the bit about an email was too convenient for for such great topics and sort of like the medium of communication the the other thread was just me like she seems to 
understand Adrian, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I I'm not you. sure I do. Yeah, and so, so like in a, uh, I, this isn't like the most sophisticated way to read a novel, but I'm like, don't do it. <laughs> like, no, of course, like... <laughs> it's it's a little bit like the end of the Wife of Bath's Tale when the rapist knight gets everything he wants at the end. I mean, it's not, like, that extreme, I guess. Yeah. But, like, um, I think... But I, I think that this... I So I get what you're saying about the reconciliation also having this sort of undercurrent of unsettledness yeah. or something, kind of. Um, and I feel like that is... Like, I don't know. There's something that seems very... Uh, sensitive to feminine experience about that, mm -hmm. I think. Um, in a way that I think is consistent with, like, the way that she described the very strange uh, dynamics of translation in The Hague and sort of being, like overtaken and spoken through kind of yeah well I and she also i mean she kind of i don't want to say sympathizes but she develops a rapport with the ex-president genocide mm -hmm. guy and like kind of i don't not understands his position but sort of understands him as a as a person and they like he, he likes her and she kind of comes to like him too i might be making this up but i feel like at some point it's suggested that like she feels closer to him than most anyone else like in the court or some, something like that um and so that's just to say she seems she calls it a strange intimacy at one point later on and i think that's like the only time she labels a particular dynamic something i mean i guess i read that as uncomfortable intimacy but maybe but it's not uncomfortable it's strange yeah it's like, yeah yeah um but i guess it's just another example of her like understanding everything in yeah. context like she's under she's kind of understanding this war criminal uh who committed yeah, yeah, genocide yeah. like exactly in in a certain context and after that experience she determines that she's not really suited to to the job yeah and but and then <laughs> it seems like so i think the book kind of makes parallels between the ex-president and adrian like the the personal thing going on in the translator's life and then this like big political thing as well and in the in the political thread she develops a strange intimacy with this this war criminal and then it's kind of like i don't have the right constitution for for this job um and then she reconnects with adrian and she kind of comes to she understands him because she can understand anyone in context so she can understand the ex-president she can understand adrian but then rather than sort of pulling back and saying like because i understand this guy I should remove myself from the situation it suggests like I understand this guy and I'm going to stay in mm -hmm. this situation 
and so it, it th yeah. this thread this thread kind of swerves a different direction yeah. than than the political right the personal thread. thread yeah and she says at that quote towards the end that it was both a strength and a weakness and it does seem like yeah. she's trying to use it as a strength and well yeah i don't know I that mean, makes me think that like in the political context in her job it was a strength or something and yeah. maybe in the personal one now it's a weakness or maybe vice versa i don't i don't know yeah i mean i guess just like thinking about this in practical terms and in terms of the ways that she described it in terms of carrying things from one language to another it's like there's only a limited amount of this that yeah. she can do and like oh so she's kind of making a choice to to do this in her interpersonal yeah, that, life as that opposed makes sense to, to yeah um, but just to, I found a quote <laughs> that supports some of what you were talking about earlier. <laughs> Good, because I was just <laughs> making it up. <laughs> no, but the, the quote about like feeling, like identifying with the, the former president mm -hmm. that she's interpreting for. She says, I flinched when the proceedings seemed to go against him. I felt quiet relief when they moved in his direction. It was disquieting in the extreme, like being placed inside a body I had no desire to occupy. I was repulsed to find myself so permeable. That's kind of interesting because it's like first she permeates someone else's body and then she says, I'm so permeable. I, w I was repulsed to find myself so permeable. Yeah. So it's like, it really is like sort of the... The dynamics of animation are are uh, go in both directions in yeah. this weird way, kind yeah. of. Um, but I was gonna ask about the the ways that this this dynamic and this sort of like permeability of the narrator and the yeah like how does that intersect with the the sort of affectlessness of the narration and the sort of indirect nature of the narration and i have another detail that i think is sort of interesting which is that like through the whole thing she's narrating how she felt and she's like reporting what other people feel mm -hmm. and then she has to interpret not just i i think i'm getting this right maybe you can correct me but not just for the former president but she has to step in and interpret for a witness against him a young woman yeah i can't remember if she is the interpreter for that or if she's just witnessing it happening but um but oh wait yeah let me see okay i think you're right okay so she says as i worked i was obliged to focus on the voice of the interpreter in the opposite booth which was measured and precise and occluded much of the sound of the young woman's speech so she's she has to focus on the voice of the other like the 
the witness's interpreter. Yeah. And she says, and yet her voice came through with remarkable clarity in the gaps between interpretation. The syllables distinct, the timber unmistakable, so that I still had the sense that I was speaking for her despite the layers of language between us. I said, there was the sound of shouting coming louder and louder, and then the men started banging on the door. I could hear them from the shed outside. I could hear everything. They broke the door down, then they ordered my father and brothers to lie on the ground. I heard the sound of gunshots, and I ran out of the shed and into the house. So, I'm not totally sure what's going on What I think is happening there is the witness is speaking and there's a translator translating it from the original language into another language and I think the narrator is then taking it from that translator and translating it into a third language um, for someone else to understand but what she's I think what she's saying is like the the sort of tone and intonation is not being translated by the translator Mm -hmm. but she can catch it from the witness even though she can't understand the words that the witness is saying so um so she's kind of getting like the emotion from directly from the witness but the the sense of the the meaning of the words from this other translator um but i but this is the this is the only part I mean like weirdly I felt like this was the only part where she was kind of like she speaks the words of the yeah like it's in in a much more direct way she narrates she lets the the witness narrate these atrocities Mm -hmm. committed against her and her family in town but in this so it's like the most direct moment of narration in the the novel yeah whereas most of it's like he said this she said that blah 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 but here it's like i said this and that and yet it's about these three different layers of translation kind of and so i just thought that was like it makes me think that somehow the the kind of like the indirect nature of much of the narrative is connected to these sort of uh, qu- questions of yeah the <laughs> the thing it makes me go back to is what I like the more serious the topic because mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything more like horrific described in the book than than that like at least not directly yeah yeah um the more the more complicated or like Mm. labored yeah uh, the community the form of communication needs to be and it's also like through like all of that work and all of those layers comes kind of like a clarity and a directness where what, it makes me think that everything else that happens in the book from like the narrator almost thinks everything else that happens in the book is like not as important yeah yeah um because it is kind of uh narrated in i feel like it's not say like 
it's it's stated plainly but it's kind of always he said she said sort of stuff so it's like indirect but also sort of like easy to get at or something and when when she starts saying like i said blank it's like much more complicated and confusing and so that's i don't know it's sort of like hey this is important yeah (laughs) but it also kind of seems like this moment of like don't know kind of like a moment of reckoning for her or like a moment of like uh, I can only think of like really sort of trite ways of saying this but like feminist identification or something Mm -hmm. like that like like she I don't know I kind of read it as like she is suddenly sort of bearing the weight with this other woman as opposed to kind of bearing the weight oh, with yeah. uh, uh, the former president or like, yeah. you know, and which is, I mean, one of the things that I really like about this novel is that it's really, like it really, it gets at the complicated politics of like, war trials and um and complicated gender politics and also like the this the idea that certain qualities of like porousness and identification are both a strength and a weakness kind Mm -hmm. of but i did feel like this was kind of like a a very moving moment in a certain way and also kind of like a just because it was so so sort of like cooperative between women and and yeah yeah it also i mean structurally or whatever it feels like the novel is building towards it i think that's right it's like the the ex-president and his war crimes are sort of introduced early on but that's the moment when you actually like hear what they yeah. are and you hear it from a direct witness yeah uh, as, as, as well and um, it's also this sort of like formally different than yeah uh, anywhere else i think yeah. yeah so it's very well done yeah good job Katie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um i want to so we've at, we've talked a lot about gender um and i did like there is an interesting section kind of that that I'll just try to mention briefly in which she's like looking at a painting that kind of like makes this really clear that that the gendered nature of of this sort of uncomfortable intimacy is like an important part of of this mm-hmm. um she's looking at a painting in Jaina's Jaina is an a gallerist and has oh, yeah. organized an ex- exhibition and she's looking at a painting by um i want to say like a 17th century woman and um who has painted a young woman i think uh playing the piano with a guy kind of like in the background like looking at her and smiling or something mm-hmm. and i mean i i haven't seen this painting but i've seen a a bunch of paintings like it you can sort of imagine yeah like like northern baroque kind of painting um but 
she talks about this, the uncanny familiarity between them, the intimacy of the paintings. And then she says a few pages later, um, it occurred to me then that only a woman could have made this image. This was not a painting of temptation, but rather one of harassment and intimidation, a scene that could be taking place right now in nearly any place in the world. The painting operated around a schism. It re represented two irreconcilable subjective positions. The man who believed the scene to be one of ardor and seduction and the woman who had been plunged into a state of fear and humiliation. And I feel like when I first read this book, I was like, oh, this book is about like minor humiliations that women experience like all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of like, uh, or not minor, but just sort of like banal, like everyday kind of like humiliations sort yeah. of. And I feel like that kind of clinched it for me. So gender is obviously kind of a big focus here, but yeah. I think I was, this is a genuine question that I have no <laughs> like response for, but like the, we are told that the narrator is Japanese and I think one of, I think the former president, when she's talking to him once, says something about her race and there's also this detail early on about how Jaina Jaina says it's really hard to get a, a mortgage when you're a single black woman when she's sort of talking about moving to this this neighborhood yeah um so it's there yeah uh, but I don't like I'm not sure if they're I'm not sure I don't know if it's like as central of a yeah. of a theme. Like, there's not like another scene where they're looking at a painting of like a a Japanese woman yeah. and a black woman musing on yeah. on that experience. I just wonder, you know, like I feel like those details can be important and like play a part in it without sort of like the book being about no it has to be about something <laughs> no I, yeah. you're right and i so i i mean that's just me coming up with an excuse for why i don't have something smarter to say about race <laughs> well, in that book but um there's another point where she gets she she orders chinese food and the woman she's buying it from seems excited that there's another Asian woman there and thinks, so the idea is like maybe the Chinese restaurateur thinks she's also Chinese. Yeah. But then when she doesn't speak Chinese, the woman is disappointed. So maybe it also kind of gestures toward like the cosmopolitanism and or diaspora or yeah. something like that. Or just like there's a lot of different things that make up a person's identity, mm -hmm. I guess. And any one of them can cause humiliations, you know? Yeah, and pro and like inhibit intimacy. Yeah. Like in desirable intimacy, kind of. Yeah, but I also yeah. wonder if it can create... Well, it certainly can create unwanted intimacy, and I wonder if 
the ex-president's fondness for her like i don't know what the race of every translator was but i wonder if the fact that she wasn't white mm. like yeah um, i think that's right yeah uh like he was more ready to be comfortable with her or something i think that's right because i think i remember a passage that i didn't mark so i'm not gonna read it out <laughs> loud but um in which he says something like you get it you get that like this court is dominated by western ideals well yeah because not only yeah. is she not white but she is japanese yeah um so so it's like non-western yeah kind of yeah um yeah that's right um do you think like when you read that part about the painting i was do you think she felt do you think adrian made her feel humiliated by ghosting her for so like yes. having her move in yeah i think she even says so at one point i didn't find it yeah but like that's, that's, that's fine <laughs> but yeah i i definitely i mean i think before i said she, she feels jerked around by him. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Um, and there's, oh, go ahead. Oh, like she says something about how she doesn't want to be the type of woman who this happens to or that men do this to. Yeah. Think. Yeah. Um, also in that scene when she's looking at the painting, that's the moment where she makes a new friend mm -hmm. whose name I can't remember. Aline or Elena? Aline, or... Alina. I don't yeah. know. Uh, let's call her Aline. Okay, I think <laughs> for, that's right. For the sake of this podcast. Um, and Aline turns out to be the sister of the man who was mugged in near Jaina's neighborhood. neighborhood. Yeah. And they become pretty good friends. Uh, and. Uh, Aline has she's very close with her brother like they have an intimacy yes but but he and I can't remember his first name but Anton I think Anton yeah that seems right Anton there's this big mystery about what he was doing in yeah. that neighborhood and did you ever figure that out yeah oh my god <laughs> Cut this part off. <laughs> tell me, tell me. Uh, <laughs> he has a relationship with a prostitute. Well, okay. And the. I mean, I I I got that, but I didn't know. I'm I'm not sure. I definitely. He was visiting her. Okay, all right. In, in, in that neighborhood, and the reason he didn't want his sister to know is because he didn't want his sister to know about this relationship. Okay. That. I think I didn't. I think I thought that was maybe suggested, but not like ever confirmed. But I, I, I mean, I think, she, I think the narrator puts it together, but okay. but he never like admits yeah, to okay. it or anything like that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I can't connect it to what we were talking about, but that whole dynamic, yeah, has like intimacy and humiliation. Yeah, yeah, um, totally. In it as well. And I feel like the sister maybe feels a little humiliated that, like, she can tell her brother is keeping something yeah. from her, but she can't. She doesn't know what, 
and the brother Anton is keeping something from her so that he isn't he doesn't feel humiliation uh, about uh, I don't know the shame of the, seeing a proper prostitute yeah, or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like I almost had something else to say on that, but it slipped away. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good observation. And at the very least, it's sort of like... It sort of complicates... Maybe it complicates the idea that this is sort of like particular to women's experience or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, that maybe, maybe but not. But the thing is, is he, I don't know that it's ever revealed to it. Like, I think he's successful in hiding it. Oh, okay. Like, so he might not ever feel the, the shame. The shame. Yeah. Um, and it's like in his hiding of his shame or avoiding shame, he's making someone else feel humiliated. Yeah, and carry the burden, kind of. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so it remains part like about a women, woman's yeah. experience. Also, it's weird. Like the narrator sees Anton at a restaurant with the woman that he is having. I don't know if it counts as an they have like a regular yeah they see each other regularly i think he's but he still pays her mm -hmm. so i don't know i don't have a name for that type of relationship it's not a it's not like his girlfriend or mistress i don't i don't know yes mistress seems closest to me yeah i don't know um because does he have a wife in, i don't think he does okay i can't i just can't remember but Anyways, the narrator sees him at a restaurant with with her and she acts like she doesn't see him and he doesn't acknowledge her. But then like later, uh, the narrator sees Aline and she's like, oh, I heard you ran into Antoine the other day at a restaurant. And so he did see yeah. her and he even said that he saw yeah. her. But I there was like parts of that meeting that they kept away from they hid yeah. they hid away um but that something that i think she says in this and katie kinamuro definitely says in her other book that we've read uh a separation but people are pretending to not know things that they know um, about one another and so like um when the narrator first meets antoine uh, she pretends that she doesn't know that he owns a bookstore and that right, she yeah. didn't go to the bookstore trying to see him and stuff. She's like, oh, you own a bookstore? Oh, I've been to that bookstore. Yeah. I, bought a, I bought a book. Um, I think also, just to support this point, like, Aline, like, is weird and cagey when the narrator and Anton leave at the same time. And then later it's revealed that she is worried that he's gonna like come on to the narrator or yeah. like um i don't know i think anton does have a wife okay I, I just i think you might be right i just yeah. remember him being sort of like a surrogate uncle for aline's kids and, and yeah but i guess he could have a wife and still be 
yeah. a surrogate uncle, but or a surrogate father, I should say. Yeah. But um, but yeah, he's sort of a womanizer also, yeah. and um, but that's that's another point about uh, people not or saying trying to keep information or knowledge hidden or yeah secret somehow i guess yeah i don't know how that act ties into like what we've been talking about in this necessarily in her other book she says like these days with social media you you go on and you can look someone up and you can see a lot about them but then if you see them in person oh, yeah. you have to you act like you haven't done that yeah um and so people are constantly in just day-to-day -day interactions like acting like they don't know things about people that they that they do know um well i want i want to say that it has to do with it's sort of like the counterpoint to the like the dynamic that you're pointing out earlier in terms of like real communication like difficult communication needing to be heavy somehow or yeah. like really layered and, and and like yeah but what if it it keeps with that point and those things aren't communicated because the 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 context or the situation isn't like conducive to it there's not like Oh, how, I don't know how to say this, but like, just like when the narrator's at dinner with Antoine for Anton, I think it's Anton, but Anton for the for the Dutch. for the first time, and he says that he owns the bookstore or whatever there, and she pretends to not know that. Mm -hmm. um, maybe that situation in that form of conversation is a little too light and breezy for her to oh yeah for her to communicate that yeah, she no, she already knows that information yeah um and so it's almost like well it's like obviously it's hard to communicate with people and i guess it seems like sometimes just having a conversation doesn't feel like enough or adequate for for the things that need to be communicated yeah like just saying it directly to a person is like too easy mm -hmm. to have this conversation you need to they, there needs to be layers of translation or something yeah or maybe it's like layers of translation created a distance that then makes it feel safer to to say i don't know yeah i mean i sort of feel like just the 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 idea of difficulty or work or burden i guess is maybe kind of like the what keeps rising to the top yeah kind of as like what is necessary to have communication in a real way kind yeah, of yeah um or that in an intimate way i guess but i take your point about like that not being possible in all contexts kind of yeah and, like i mean it's sort of like what i was 
saying earlier in terms of like the work that she is doing in the court in interpreting for the court is similar to the work she's doing in sort of like understanding Adrian mm -hmm. but she can't do all of it and so she makes the decision to or like I'm not sure it's a definitive decision yeah, but it at the seems end, but it like seems like it's moving yeah. in that direction to just kind of do it in one area of her life or something. Yeah. Well, I think we've solved the book. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> um, why did you want to read this book? Um, I wanted to read it because we read... Uh, her earlier book, A Separation, um, while well, we both had COVID in the Hebrides. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just thought it was so readable and also so, so smart. Like, just um, a very moving exploration of a, of a kind of strange type of grief uh that uh a separation is yeah. that um like a, a relationship that was ending anyway then needs to like so there's there was that type of mourning and then there's uh, then there's actual death that yeah. uh, that needs to be mourned as well and and without giving too much away i guess <laughs> but we don't care about spoilers <laughs> the most useful info. well yeah <laughs> it's the same person the person that she's mourning the end of the relationship of and the death of yeah and uh and it seems it seems like a way of like sort of mourning the mourning a potential for something as opposed to mourning like an actual something yeah. which i think uh really was something i was preoccupied particularly preoccupied with at the time and also uh just really smart and readable and and moving also evokes rachel cusk who i also like yeah uh for for fans of Rachel Cusk, <laughs> check out Katie Kittermura. Yeah. Uh, cool. Is there anything else you want to say? Follow me on Twitter. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, do you want people to find you online? No. Uh, I, I'm, I don't. I am not online very often. I tweet occasionally at at Aiden Lears. I think that's it. I think that's right. Okay, so you can find our guest uh, maybe on Twitter <laughs> at maybe at Aiden Lears. Yeah. But maybe not. Who knows? Uh, thanks for doing this, Aiden. Thanks for inviting me. I had a great time and we solved Katie Kittimer. It's always good to solve a book. <laughs> that's what we're here to do. But seriously, I have immensely more appreciation for this book after having oh. this conversation so thank you i think our listeners will too good okay. let's pray for that <laughs> yeah okay bye, bye.